0: I need to be in charge of my own destiny because when you're at the mercy of, of like, like what I saw, right. My mother was a factory worker. She couldn't go in and demand a raise, right. She didn't have control over her, um, over her sal- There was, there was a salary cap. Um, there was a, a fixed standard of living. And so, you know, that, that was something that early on, I thought, I don't, I don't want that life.
1: Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Jordy Mueller, and this is The Entrepreneur's Wallet, a place where we explore the emotional side of money through the eyes of entrepreneurs. Our guest today is a very special one for me. Mary Beth Gusitas is the founder of Mile High Performance Coaching. And yes, this is not a training company, it's a business coaching company. The way she came to start her second business was through a personal experience, which she shares during the conversation today. MB, as most people know her, really reflects positive energy everywhere she goes, whoever she talks, anywhere she goes, but never ever loses the grip on how to motivate people towards their goals. That last aspect is what has made her very successful first at her previous real estate company in New Hampshire and now as a business coach. Accountability, motivation, and being vulnerable, that's her recipe, and it has been working. Well, I hope you get to enjoy our chat today, learn a ton like I did, and here it is. The Entrepreneur's Wallet, Maribeth this. Hi, Maribeth, how are you doing? Or MB, I should say.
0: I'm great, Jordy, how are you?
1: I'm doing well. Where are you joining us uh, from today?
0: I am in New Hampshire. I am up in New Hampshire today. Yep.
1: Oh, man. So um, it's beautiful. Just for it's those snowy, listening, snowy. It's great. For those listening that are not in a cold area, New Hampshire is just colder <laughs> than Boston. So that's all I have to say.
0: <laughs> it's like the frozen yeah. tundra out here today. Yeah. It's cold.
1: <laughs> um. So... MB, I, I wanted to have you in this podcast uh, because it's all about entrepreneurs and the emotions and financial life that they go through, uh, through their, not just through the companies, but through their personal roller coasters. Mm-hmm. And the first time I met you, uh, I definitely felt a connection with you. And a couple of stories that you shared with me were really interesting on what drove you and your passion to teach and kind of like get the best out of whoever you meet so not so much about you, but like you were passionate about getting the best out of the person in front of you. So yeah. that really struck a nerve with me. And, uh, oh. and I thought you would be a great entrepreneur to have in this podcast. Really, uh, thanks. And I want to start with one, with one um, uh, question, which is sure. about your new company, which is your coaching company. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I do have to say, uh, Mariveth still very uh, much involved in real estate, but he, she's putting a lot of focus on this uh, performance coaching company called Mile One, and um, reading through your website, if you read carefully, you're gonna notice you base everything in four pillars, which is the motivate, inspire, lead, and empower. And I wanna ask one question, why lead <laughs> is in there? This, it's why not necessarily TV? there all the time. And, and you definitely made a conscious effort to include that. So, so tell me, how do you come up with this first, the four pillars, and then including the word lead in there?
0: That's a great question. So for me, um, everything rises and falls on leadership, everything, um, whether it's, you know, running a company, whether it's leading yourself, whether it be leading your children or relationships around you, to me, everything rises and falls on leadership. And so, you know, many years ago um, when I stepped into a CEO role with a real estate firm, um, Leadership is really um, something that I, I'm, I'm just passionate about, because I think that without having the ability to lead yourself and to lead other people, um, leading is really about influencing. Right. Mm. And um, yeah. so to try to really uh, work at work with people and develop with people and, and and sort of try to get them to the best version of themselves. Part of that is going to be about teaching them how to lead. And so for me, motivate, inspire, lead, and empower, they all have to go hand in hand, for in my opinion, to make a lasting change, right? Because motivation is great and it's temporary, right? We go to places, mm. we hear a podcast, we read a book, to go to a seminar, we get this burst of motivation. But that left to itself is can be temporary. So it needs to then move to mm. inspiration, which is... I want to do it now for me without an external force. I'm inspired to take the action. Um, and then leadership is about, is about wanting to do the action and wanting um, and having the ability to influence the change. And then empowerment is about having, having the ability to do it. So to me, they all sort of, it's like four legs of a table. Um, and we use each of those mm. four parts interchangeably um, but all are extremely important and very different. Does it make sense?
1: Oh, man. Oh, it makes total sense. And uh, I'm pretty sure all the scientists that have developed all these pyramids yeah. <laughs> about what drives people we're, were probably going crazy when you came up with four and uh, now four. they have to come up with a square that actually holds people uh, like, to their best like standard four. possible. I, I like
0: four. Yeah. No, I that's also... great. And truly mile one came from this, this sort of thought of me writing down words of if I could affect someone's life, how would I want to do it? That was really where mile came yeah. from was I thought how, you know, if I could, if I could, if I could write down some words that would describe what I would want someone working with me to say, I would want them to say, she, hmm. she motivated me. She inspired me. She taught me how to lead myself and other people. And man, man, I had, I was empowered to do it. So that's really where it came from. And then it just stuck. Okay.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And um, and we will come back to your current company because I really think uh, it's where your current passion is. I, I mean, I've met you now a few times and uh, uh, <laughs> we always have issues scheduling and it's not necessarily because finding the schedule is because every time we schedule, we don't schedule enough time together because <laughs> we just kept talking for a lot longer. <laughs> So people around us are are crazy about <laughs> scheduling, but um we'll we'll come back to mile high because I, I want to talk about that passion, but um uh, if I want to jump into a, like how you started your career as a real estate agent and then uh, like becoming the CEO of this company and then eventually yeah. transitioning half out I don't want to say out but like half out you know where you it's not your primary mm-hmm. uh, day job anymore um, <laughs> right. how how did you stumble into being a real estate agent?
0: You know, it's actually, it's kind of an interesting story. I had, um, I had since I was 18, 19 years old, been in, I never, I never did go to college. Um, And I was um, always in this pattern of I would, I would work for a company and within three months, six months, I would be, you know, promoted to different um, roles. Generally, I geared toward um, service and sales management. And so in my early 20s, I held um, these these positions that were um, service and sales management where I was this, you know, this young, young girl, um, you know, um, learning what I refer to as the squeeze play of life in corporate America. Right. I was in like I was in middle management where where I was sort of that person who had to deliver the messages that I didn't necessarily agree with, didn't necessarily like. Um, And I would ask and I was forced to ask people to do things that I personally didn't want to do myself or didn't see the value in myself. And so um, in my in my early sort of maybe mid 20s, I started to even get burned out on that thing. This there has to be more than this. And feeling like I really wanted to be in charge of my destiny. I really wanted control over my life. I didn't want someone, um, I I was sort of like looking at these, these, this, the level of management above me, thinking, is this, you know, the ghost of Christmas future for me? And I didn't (laughs) want that. I didn't want to become that. I didn't want my life to look like that. I didn't want the standards um, for my life to be defined um, through other people. So I started to sort of get disenchanted with traditional, um, you know, corporate America middle management. And I I remember I was getting married and uh, I was 29 years old. <clears throat> my husband said to me, you know what? You're really unhappy. You should quit your job. And I thought, what? Like that, are you crazy? Like I'd never quit anything in my life and I never had quit anything without something better to go to, right? Like you just, that was unheard of. And so he said, you know, quit your job and think about what you want to do. And, and I, I remember thinking, you know what? I'm going to try that. And so Jordy, for a period of time, I actually worked in. Um, I worked at a, at a at a Mexican restaurant. I was twenty nine years old. I was serving margaritas and taco chips, and trying to figure out what I wanted to be. And and nothing and, and wrong I with those two. Yeah. There was. I, I'm a huge fan. I'm a very big fan <laughs> of taco chips and margaritas. But here's what I learned. Here was the interesting thing that I had the great blessing to learn, the great gift to learn at that. You know, 28 years, twenty eight years, 29 years old. Um, I had to serve people margaritas and chips and and wait on people that I had hired and I had fired and I had led. And the life lesson that I learned, thankfully, at that young age was to always, always be kind and always be respectful because you do not know where you're going to see somebody again. Right?
1: Wow. Today, so, I'm hiring so that's... you or firing
0: you. Tomorrow, I might be serving you drinks in a restaurant. So I learned early on that was sort of the beginning, I think, of leadership. It was the beginning of a leadership journey, truly, for me to say, you know what? Always be kind. Always be kind. And so, so it's, I...
1: Is hmm? that a lesson of humbleness? Is that a lesson of humbleness uh, that every absolutely. leader kind of should have? Yeah.
0: Abso- absolutely. Absolutely. And as a leader, the truth is we need people more than they need us. And the minute we confuse those roles, we're no longer a leader. We're a manager. Hmm. The minute we think that people need us more than we need them, we've lost sight of what our real job is. And so um, truly it, it, the idea of real estate came to me, uh, honestly, uh, just in a spur of the moment of me just seeking an answer and just saying, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And being willing to do anything in, the, in between, right? So I had to make money. I, I, I worked in a restaurant, but meanwhile, did a lot of soul searching. And one day, truthfully, Jordi, I said, I know what it is. I'm just going to go sell real estate. I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't know what it took. I had never bought a house. I didn't understand it. Um, but I liked my perception of the lifestyle it could give me. Freedom, mm-hmm. flexibility, control of my destiny, um, and the ability to serve people. That's really uh, what attracted me all those years
1: so, ago. So let me, uh-huh. let me ask you a question on this particular, now that you're probably memory-wise, you're in this stage right now in your head. Um, uh, there is a lot that goes into just starting on your own. And um, of uh-huh. course, certification and like everything that comes with actually being able to get into real estate. Yeah. But uh, from the few entrepreneurs I have just talked to in this podcast, I have realized that the funding part of the company doesn't necessarily become a big thing of their story is they just kind of like overlooked it it's just like i just started and it I becomes start, more yeah. like a yeah just like i just needed to do that like it doesn't really matter how it happened it just happened um yeah but i'm curious to know how you did yours because this is something where it's more a service it's not necessarily like you need a big funding to start to create a product it's just more your service so mm-hmm. is it something that, that that's how it started <laughs>
0: You know it did, and I think that the lessons that I had learned um, from my years before in, in service and sales management was about how to, how to do a quality job, how to follow up, how to communicate with people. But more importantly than that, Jody, I think this is whether you're selling real estate or you know whether're you're, you're launching a, a, a new product or whatever whatever it is. It all comes back down to one thing, and it is the relationships you can build and I don't care what product you're selling or what service you're selling. If if you have the ability to build relationships with people, that's the leadership. That's the influence part, right? If you mm-hmm. have the ability to build relationships with people, be authentic and genuinely um, care about someone's best interest, uh, you're going to be fine. So for me, <laughs> I just started. And one, if you do a good job with one you have more than one, right? So it, it, you, the hardest uh, part was getting one. The first that?
1: one. <laughs> yeah, like that's the hardest part get the is getting, first, getting the first but...
0: one. And yeah, then you just touch then... the topic.
1: Oh, sorry, sorry. Keep going. Sorry. No,
0: no Go ahead. I was just going to say. Then it, the secret really is just just do the work. Do the work. Um, have integrity, um, and 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 show people that that you you genuinely care about their best interest and that you do the job and that's how it builds. Hardest part is to so, get the first one. you
1: you just, just touching a topic, which is uh, connection and uh, human connection, human relationship. And I yeah. think you and I, at some point through a coffee, we were talking about the prospectus of the future, changing a little bit where automation and starts replacing a lot of kind of jobs. And we cannot even envision what, uh, I, I would say careers and industries, artificial intelligence would replace. But I yeah. think we were both agreeing that the one thing that probably humans will always need eventually, or even more in the future, is those service-oriented, relationship-oriented uh, industries. And of course, there is an extent that computers and AI can definitely mimic and replicate. Um, oh. uh, what do you think about this? Is this something that, that is definitely gonna be kind of like the future of some industries, like the relationship building, the connection with humans?
0: I I think that automation and technology certainly changes the landscape of how we do things. Um, I'm not sure that it changes sometimes the fundamental need of why we do things. That's the human part. And I think that, um, you know, until we as humans become a robot, we can't be replaced by a robot. Aspects can. It can be leveraged. Certain tasks can be leveraged. But I think that that important, we call the EQ, right, the emotional quotient, can't be done in a computer. That's a human. <laughs> that's a human being asset and resource. And I feel <laughs> like, I feel like there's many things um, that we certainly look at automation, um, and and we can be fearful of. Um, but I think that it's okay to lean into automation, but use it as a resource, not a replacement. Hmm. Does that make um, sense?
1: I did- It makes total sense. And I'm realizing obviously this is one of the topics that it's not something I wanted to cover, but it's just typical you and I. We just start going into
0: every single direction.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, which 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 I love it. I love it. Um, uh, talking about relationships, there's one question I have been asking every single guest and and I'll just go ahead. What was your relationship with money growing up?
0: That is an excellent question. And I just had this conversation with someone just within the last couple of days and the importance of the relationship with money. I had a very um, fearful relationship with money. Um, And I also had a relationship um, or a a motivation, even at a young age, Jordy, that drove me to have to make it. So I, you know, I was the youngest of six children, single mother, um, factory worker, my mother didn't have a lot of money Um, and due to the fact that there were six kids and there was a five-year age gap between me and the older sibling, um, I was alone much of the time, right? So think about like getting myself to school and um, you know, my my mother was in a factory working and my older brothers and sisters were, were gone in higher grades. And so my mom didn't have enough money and I would watch, the game that she would play, even as a young age, I would watch the game of you know um, putting the putting the the electric bill check in the phone bill envelope to buy a few more days to try to. My mother could stretch a dollar like it was a rubber band, um, and and but watching, there was always a fear around money. There was a, there was always a scarcity of money, and there was always an anxiety that surrounded it. And so the financial thermostat that I had was that nobody in my family made money, right? They maybe made 30 or 40,000, but there was not an abundance. And so- What was the fear? The The fear was there just wasn't enough. The fear was- so The
1: fear of not having enough. The fear was there's
0: not enough, right? There's just not enough. Um, and, and, and this is also, I think, what drove me to say, I need to be in charge of my own destiny because when you're at the mercy of of like like what I saw, right? My mother was a factory worker. She couldn't go in and demand a raise, right? She didn't have control over her, um, over her salary. There was there was a salary cap. Um, there was a, a fixed standard of living, and so you know that that was something that early on I thought I don't, I don't want that life.
1: Hmm. But you, I also do had you remember. When you mm-hmm. realized this, do you remember like at some moment or some situation where you realized, okay, this is on me?
0: I, I remember, I remember many, many times. I remember there being a time truly where we had a knock at the door and somebody gave us a box of food. And I remember being really young and I remember feeling two emotions, two very distinct emotions. One emotion was, I feel so much love from these people who I don't know that are willing to help. I felt love. And I also felt when I'm big, I'm going to be on the other side of the door. Like that was my, that was my watching. This was gratitude, right? Like these people are amazing and I, and I am grateful and I love, um, that they're doing this for me. And my second thought at a very young age, I can remember thinking, and this won't happen again and I'll, I'll when I'm big I'm going to be the one carrying the box not receiving it so <clears throat> those that was early that was probably oh gosh I can I mean, I can just sort of see myself but it's hard to put an age on it maybe 7 maybe 8 Oh wow um wow. and so then I just went to work then I just honestly went to work I remember as a kid like selling um do you remember those those <laughs> Well, I don't know why anyone didn't stop me from this, but do you remember those <laughs> rocks like you would sell like and you would do like in a fish tank? There were all those little colored pebbles and you would put them in the bottom of a, yes. you remember those.
1: Yes. Uh, somebody
0: I don't remember how I got these rocks, but somebody had given us like, I don't know, a fish tank or something. And I remember setting up a little table at the end of the driveway <laughs> trying to sell my rocks like I was even at that young age <laughs> selling or like painting acorns and bringing them to the neighbors. Like I just remember always thinking, like I can, I can do something. I can make something. I can, I can make money. Um, Mm. Whether it was picking up neighbors, you know, the dog stuff off the yard, or um, I just always remember thinking, I can make money. And so, um, but I will tell you that for people that have a low thermostat, financial thermostat um there is a day of reckoning for that right where when you start to make money there does come i believe for me anyway there is a day of reckoning where you've hit you've hit the level that you ever thought you were uh, um sort of like this is the cap of what i saw um and you have to reconcile that and i call it the financial thermostat which is kind of like you know when i explain it to people when i coach and i say your thermostats in your ba- your your boiler, your furnace is in your basement. You don't think about it, you don't really pay attention to it. It's just there, um, and it's doing its job in the background. And that when when um, when the fir- when you put a certain temperature in your thermostat, let's say it's seventy five degrees, when it starts to approach that level, it 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 turns off, right? It says you're hot enough or it's warm enough, shut down. And we do that as humans when we are approaching the financial our own financial thermostat. We're going to shut it so down. That's where motivation
1: comes into place. That's why you said your it's always different. motivation,
0: you're going to sabotage yourself. Yep, you're going to get in your own way. You're going to you're going to stop. I see this in real estate all the time, all the time. I see people, and I say, my gosh, their thermostats off. And I'll explain. And when I explain it to them, it makes sense. Consequently, so let's, when it gets like oh. too cold, let's say, let's say when you start to go, oh my gosh, I need money, and you start to get into pain and discomfort because your thermostats, you're on the cool side, you need more, we go to work. Thermostat kicks yeah. on, we go to work. And so there's this always yeah. this balance, right?
1: Let, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you definitely get to see people, and we just had a guest a couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, She's in the merger and acquisition business. So she's, she's mm-hmm. in the front seat of a lot of transactions and life-changing transactions most of the time. So, yeah. so even though uh, she might not have a skin in the game, she, she sees the emotions and what happens to people after. You are in yeah. the real estate business, and I would say the percentage of, popula- of the population that buying a house is not a big deal is very small. Usually buying a property or a house is a big deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's a big financial commitment. Um, what would you say is the, the, the most important thing you have learned from seeing so many big financial transactions that impact people's lives? Um, that's,
0: a, that's, that's a good question and it's a hard question because everybody is different. Their relationship to money is different. Their relationship to stress and anxiety is different, right? So everybody sort of handles, handles it a little bit differently. Um,
1: I thought you were gonna we, say they really don't need the four bedroom. No. Well, <laughs> <no. laughs> <laughs>
0: and, and and regardless whether it's you know a small transaction or or maybe a big yeah. transaction, the emotions around every transaction are really unique to them. Not everyone selling is selling for a happy reason, and not everyone buying is buying for a happy reason. And so it really is just something that is individual to the people, right? sometimes people are people are downsizing because you know they, they've lost a spouse or they're sick so, sometimes people are buying a bigger house because they have to care for aging parents that have to move in and so not every every occasion has to be looked at uniquely and it has to be cared for uniquely
1: yeah that is that is <laughs> that is the added value of your uh, career I would say because um, mm-hmm. just from the the short time I have known you, I did not ever imagine that you were a real estate agent because you definitely don't fit in the in the category of a real estate agent, you really care, you really try to uh, connect and uh, it tends to be a transactional uh, perception from the people outside, a transactional role from from people outside the industry, but you're not in that category at all. Uh, you're in a oh, connecting, uh, uh, loving person. And, and I really mean that. Uh, not because Aww. people are listening. I, I really mean okay. that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or because,
0: or because I'm paying you to say that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. You're definitely not getting a favor. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm not paying. I'm. I'm not paying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I, I want to talk a little about your company, the first company, the real estate company. Uh, yeah. Uh, when did you decide? And, and and I, I don't know if you could explain to people how you, how you, came out to be how it much how much it grew. And then at some point you decided, and this is just from the stories you have told me, yeah. there's more I want to do that this mm-hmm. role cannot give me. And uh, yeah. I don't know if you could walk us through that story.
0: Sure, sure. So I got my real estate license in 1998 and um, I wasn't just an individual agent. I had an assistant. I was you know, running a, a very good business by myself. Uh, I worked for a competitor. And in 2006, um, someone that I had uh, known through the industry had called me and said, we're thinking about bringing this new company to town. Um, it hasn't really been heard of here, but we think, we think it could be a great opportunity. And hey, would you like to um, talk to us about coming in as the CEO? And I thought, well, there must really be a lack of people for you to ask because (laughs) I, I, I don't know why you're calling me to do this job. Um, because the reality is, you know, at that time, Jordy, at that time, I knew how to sell real estate. I, I, um, hadn't yet really had a deep understanding of this kind of business. Um, I didn't have a deep understanding of people I I really didn't at that time, two thousand and six. But I'm I'm a big believer in you know we we miss a hundred percent of the shots we never take. So I thought, what the heck? If if it doesn't work out, I'll just go back and sell some houses, right? I'll just go back to doing what I know how to do. And instantly, um, my whole world changed because I went from being someone that sold houses to now someone who had to build a company um of real estate agents and that was that that was hard and it was in 2006 the market was just starting to shift uh and then we spent the next you know eight nine years in in some of the worst real estate times and here we were trying to build this company um Hmm. and so it it, um you know at that time keller williams was brand new yeah yeah and we were can i post right there
1: can i post it right there Tell me about the financial stress of two thousand eight and two thousand nine for you.
0: Um, so <clears throat> it wasn't only my stress; it was which was which was tr- tremendous. It was the stress of every person in my company. It was the stress of every real estate agent, even in our area. These were the hardest times real estate agents had seen, and so there was this pressure of we've got to make a go of this thing, right? Um, we had, I think, 40 agents at the time, very little production, zero market share. No one knew our name. Um, and here I, here I was trying to get people that were successful and productive to leave their companies and come work for me. Like I, I, we're brand new. Nobody knows us. And this sounds like a really good idea, right? <laughs> Why would anyone do that? Um, but that's where the influence and the and the and, and the relationship piece came in. And so the financial part was was really tough. We had to be lean and mean, and I had to be willing to do whatever it took. It was not easy. And I had to be willing hmm. to work tirelessly, make sacrifices, and and shoulder the the pain of, of the people that I was attracting. Remember. These guys are commission-only people. They were suffering. They were suffering. Some of them were, were losing homes. Some of them were going bankrupt. It was a hard, emotional time. That's probably when I learned the most about leadership, to lead them I was, through I was that gonna time. say.
1: I was going to say, now I know where that lead comes from. I think it's from this time.
0: It, came, it Absolutely. If I didn't start that way, I truly don't know where, where I would be now. It, but if, it, it started with um, keep trying to really help people stay engaged, stay positive, stay focused, um, inspire them, motivate, lead them, empower them. It, it, that's mile one started back then. I just didn't know it. Hmm. Um, and so as as things got know harder and harder and seven, eight, nine came and it was very, very difficult. Keller Williams was actually we were growing by leaps and bounds at that point. Because we had created a culture and an energy and a synergy that if you needed to get out of your own way and you needed to, to, to um, you know, take control of your business and of yourself and, and, and turn it around, we were the place that you wanted to go. And so during those hard times is truly when we attracted some of the most amazingly talented people that are with us, thankfully, to this day. That is
1: very interesting that you're saying that. Um, I, I On the right uh, to work today, I, I happened to be listening to the Ezra Klein interview with Paul Krugman from last week. Mm-hmm. And Paul Krugman, big economist, Nobel Prize winner economist, he was saying that the thing, the thing that he believes most people would disagree with him the most is that he believes monetary incentives are not as powerful as people believe he thinks motivation and creating an emotional uh, environment of acknowledgement of reward is more powerful and I was like it took me by surprise from' an economist right uh, but it, it it completely aligns with what you are saying right now which is in a financial crisis uh, environment you had to show a different kind of reward and people appeal to
0: mm. it and well, and you know what? And I work in an, I work in a very competitive industry where tr- tr- recruiting is a, is a, is a sport. <laughs> it is a sport. Uh, and, um, our competitors truly, um, many of them would write big checks, just big checks, big sign on bonuses for people to come work for them. And if it were only about money, they would go. Hmm. But the truth of the matter is it's never money. That's what people will say. Cause it's, It's the most obvious, um, it's the most obvious smoke screen someone can give you. But money is only a symbol that says, um, you know, how I feel, how connected am I? How do I belong? Are we aligned with our value system? Do I, do I live in the culture? Do I appreciate the culture? We did a lot of work in those early days on culture. How does it feel when you walk in the building? What are we building? Who are we building it with? It was never about the money. And when you make it about the money, I I always say in the absence of value, money's the issue. It's never really uh, the issue. It's value.
1: So now that you, I mean, you've now been through a lot in your life and Mm -hmm. uh, you started this conversation with with a story of you selling rocks and that in my head, it's a way that when you realize my activities can drive money, and I can actually bring money to the table, and I can actually mm-hmm. be a participant in earning. But now it seems that years after you're realizing it's the story or it's the tool is not necessarily the primary thing. So has has your relationship with money changed now?
0: It has. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, but but it didn't happen on its own. I mean, I had to. I had to face. Um, I had to face some things and I had to, I had to remove some limiting beliefs, right? Um, monsters in the closet, so to speak. Um, do you want to talk about
1: that at all or, or share? Sure.
0: Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, I had a lot of limiting beliefs that I had to release things like, um, you you know, you didn't go to college who would listen to you. That's a big Mm -hmm. one. Um, things like, um, You know, you don't come from a wealthy family. What makes you think you can have wealth? These were these these, like bad roommates in my head that lived there for a very long time. And so until I evicted the roommate, and the only way I did that was through finding better models. You see, I only had certain models that told me what to believe, right? Um, That said, this is what's possible. So for me to change the story that I was telling myself, for me to release those monsters, I had to find better models. People that had come from where I came from or worse, that had gone on to have great things. People that had um, sort of similar experiences, um, I had to watch them. Um, I had to learn. and, And this was sort of one of the great lessons of, taking on this, this role without really, um, kind of thinking I had any business to say yes at that time, because what I realized is that our, our capabilities, like our potential, our potential has nothing to do with our current capability. It just doesn't. And so I had to wrestle, um, and fight for my potential. And I had to just say, um, my current capabilities aren't as important as I think I can learn these things. I can, I can learn, I can grow, I can model, I can find these people. Um, and so that's what I did, but my relationship with money, uh, thankfully did change, um, where now I can have an abundance mindset. I don't have to live in fear. I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I'm on the, yeah. thankfully, uh, made good on the promise to be on the other side of the door and, 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 and pay it forward. Um, with the mm-hmm. you know the generosity that others have shown me, uh, but I think that drive is driven, and I think most oh. people's massive drive is driven out
1: of pain. MB just, just pain. I think something happened to your to your microphone or headphones.
0: Oh, I'm still here. Can you hear me? There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, sorry,
1: I can't hear you. It just just went away for a second. But yeah, no, that's great. Okay. Um, I I have a so so here is an interesting question because you transition and i hate to say transition out but i'm yeah. having a daily role in this company and
0: yeah
1: did you start thinking about your legacy is that why starting a coaching company where you could empower other people
0: i yes and i well, I started to think about um my reach and i started to think about what am i most passionate about and i started to think about at the end of at the end of days um what do I want to be known for? And what I realized is that what I want to be known for in Keller Williams isn't real estate; it's how I changed people who sold real estate. Right, real estate was just a byproduct. It was, it was. I wanted my my passion was about changing the people that worked for me, and and helping them be their very best selves. So mile one was just an evolution of how can I do this for more people outside of real estate um, and and extend the reach. I also think that um, people need to grow and they need to evolve. And I had done the job for a long time. And I also felt that it was time for a new leader to emerge and for opportunity to be given to someone else to come in. I had taken it as far as, as, you know, I felt like Maybe I could or wanted to um and as much as I'm still very passionate and very very engaged in the company, I wanted someone else to to be able to take over so I could move on to some other things and that someone else could grow the way I did in that role.
1: How did that feel to and i and we here at lexington uh <laughs> I don't want to say we struggle with this because it's not a struggle. It's, it's always fun and challenging, but we are very thoughtful about the passing of the culture mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and you being the creator of the culture uh, in that company. Now you are, you have to consider that. I'm assuming that was a huge uh, mm-hmm. a, a yeah. bullet point on finding it, yeah. uh, or just not just finding, but just like thinking about living. Um, how did you uh, come to terms to that?
0: Um, uh, To be honest with you, it was harder than I thought. Um, I I don't, I don't know (laughs) that I was really, I really don't think I was prepared um, for, for how it would actually feel. I thought I knew. Um, And everyone, you know, everyone thinks, yeah, I'm ready for this next chapter. And then you get it. And then um, there was a period of time where I felt that it was in the best interest of the new leader for me to sort of go in the shadows and so I had gone for you know a period of 12 years of being every day, you know blood, sweat, tears, knowing being intimate with these people's lives, really knowing what was happening mm-hmm. to just nothing to being home and being quiet oh man. Um, and, and it was it was honestly <laughs> it was hard. it was very hard. and I think that that when you when you entrust a new leader to come, um, you have to let them lead. And you have to know that they're going to lead differently than you would. Um, and that that's okay. And that you have to allow space and time for, for people to grow and make mistakes and, and make some decisions that maybe you wouldn't make. Um, but otherwise you're always going to own the job. You're always going to take it back. But it was harder than um, I thought, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah, I, I... I mean i cannot imagine i mean that's a lot of time of your life that you have put into and just like you described sweat and day in day out and then it becomes your baby and and there's always the question that 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 usually comes after the first one i asked which is do you think you'll ever come back to the business and just completely remove yourself but uh, you might not even be ready to answer that I, it's up to you
0: i don't i don't think i'll ever remove myself completely because i i, I don't want to i i can't imagine ever wanting to because the same reasons I started mile one are still a value to the people that are in Keller Williams. So I know I can still nice. be a value to them. I know I can still serve them. It's just differently. Um, but I think, um, you know, when, when you, when you build something and it is such a part of you, it, it is, it really is hard. It really is hard um, to separate from it. And so I I don't ever see myself wanting to separate completely because I do have a deep love and remember I, I recruited every one of these people um, and and understanding that real estate is a very unique entity which is very different than many other um, many other uh, industries where real estate companies are built it's a volunteer organization. So we're very vulnerable when you think about it, right? that that every yeah. everyone in a real estate company is an independent contractor. So these are these are in essence leadership voluntary um, voluntary teams. And mm. so if the relationship breaks down, they can they can move their business somewhere else by lunch mm. tomorrow. Yeah. And they've taken your market share and your profit with them. And so leadership it is 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 an art form i believe particularly in real estate because we don't really own anything right I, we don't own these so people it, we don't have assets we don't own we don't really own anything
1: i um the last time I, did, I was talking to you uh you mentioned this formula style i'm trying to remember the formula but it was something about trust plus motivation equals results i'm trying to remember the the elements of the formula do you know what i was what i'm talking about
0: Oh, um, oh, um, for mile one, yes, it was people um, plus process minus problems equals profit. That one?
1: Yes. And I yeah. love that one because every part of the formula, there's a lot to think about. Like you have control over it. It's not, it's not necessarily that it's a formula out of your control for having a successful company. Uh, every single part of that is under the control under your control. Um, did you come up with that or is it something that you've read somewhere?
0: No, I, I don't even, to be honest with you, that was something that I, I drew on a white paper uh, one day when I thought, what really <laughs> is the process? And I started just to think about like what, you know what is the process? And the truth is, I feel um, that it can only be done effectively in one direction. Like you've got to put people first. Because I think if you start at the other end and you put profit first, it doesn't work out. So I think that it's, I personally, this is just my opinion. The others may disagree, but I believe that it's a one-way street. Like, I don't think I can come the other, I don't think I can come at it from the other angle. So it's the right people doing the right process, minimizing the problems equals profit. And so when I coach people or teams or organizations, always start with people. Do you have the right um, people? (laughs)
1: <laughs> that resonates probably with every single entrepreneur <laughs> that's listening to yeah, this right now. Because that's most uh, of the
0: time. I think most of the time yeah. we're worried about, can I make this thing work? And we're thinking about, I got to turn a profit. And I don't think yeah. most of us as entrepreneurs are really, um, by nature, we're drivers, right? By nature, we move fast, think fast, decide fast. We're risk takers by nature. Yeah, um, And we don't often slow down on the hiring process. We don't often slow down on the teaching process. We don't, um, I feel in, in all the things I've done and all the people I've coached for many years now, this is the number one area they don't get right. And when they do, it's by yeah. accident. And if they could just say, no if I, and if I'm right, and if I just mastered hiring the best people for the job they, that I need to have done, the processes are better the problems are fewer, the profits higher by nature, just by default. But when we hire so the wrong people. Um, mm-hmm.
1: No, you're right. You're right. Uh, no, and, and the human capital, uh, connecting culture with new hires, uh, making culture the most important thing in every decision making. It's something, all those topics, it's something that we definitely uh, think about feel about, uh, it's an important thing. Uh, and every entrepreneur that I've talked to puts it at the top priority list. The problem comes in execution. Mm-hmm. It's how does it come up at the right, uh, at the time of execution. And usually you're right, it doesn't come at the top. Um, uh, MB, I wanna change a little topics and, and I'm gonna make it a little more personal. Sure. purpose. And uh, okay. talk about your family. <laughs> uh, I, I actually have spoken to you a couple of times and I don't remember if you actually have children. <laughs> Um, I
0: do.
1: So I do. the question I wanted to ask about your children is, yeah, how do you teach them about money?
0: Teach them about money?
1: Yeah. How is was that? that? Was that like,
0: uh, yeah. How yeah, did you that's... teach
1: them about money? How, how hard was that? Like, what was your, your highest or your most strongest fear on, on when doing this?
0: Um, I still, well, my kids, believe it or not, are still kind of young. So I have a 16-year-old and I have an 8-year-old. Um, so it's so, perfect
1: timing for this.
0: <laughs> it is perfect timing for this, and you know, my daughter, the sixteen-year-old, isn't much of a spender. The eight-year-old boy would would is is a constant, you know, IO. Like, can hey, mom, can I write an IOU on a sticky note and buy the toy? Um, they're just very, very different people. Um, the The relationship to money that I really try to encourage is that um, number one, they need to give. They need to give money away. That to me um, is a fundamental thing I want them to learn, um, that they need to give money away. So when they earn money, ideally, I would like a percentage to go toward, um, and they can decide what it is for a charity, but they need to give it away. Um, A percentage uh, needs, ideally, would need to go into the bank. I like 30% and 30%. 30% 30% in the bank, 30% gives away. And I also, then the rest, they can do whatever they'd like at this age. Um, yeah. So for me, it really just comes down to number one, don't, don't, um, don't spend every cent that you make. And for me, um, the lesson of, and every dollar you make shouldn't be just to make your life better. It should be to serve other people. Um and that's, that's about say, as far as we've gotten.
1: Hmm? W- yeah. Would you say you consider yourself financially responsible in your personal life?
0: I would. Yeah, I would. My husband and I have worked really hard to, um, with very, very little exception, have zero debt. I mean, we're, you know, we've worked hard to, you know, um, apply the principles that my kids see. If you want a car, you save your car. and You, you pay for the car. You don't finance. Um, you <clears> know, we... We have worked hard to have investments, multiple income streams, uh, whether it's you know yeah. passive income through investments or passive income through stock, whatever it might be, or equity in in businesses. Um, that there can't just be one form um, of income.
1: I hope and so, I hope the yeah. interp- the people listening are entrepreneurs are not gonna hate me for this next question <laughs> because I'm doing a oh. huge generalization, but okay. uh, and it's just from my interaction, of course, with uh, entrepreneurs and. I'm in the industry, so we tend to see a little bit of this from the other side, right? But why do you think entrepreneurs are a little bit messy when it comes to personal finances?
0: I see this every day. Um, I teach, you know, real estate agents um, how to run a business. And this is where we struggle the most. And I think entrepreneurs, again, by nature, are are visionary thinkers, right? We're thinking, we're always like... um, how do I explain it? Um, I think that we're all, I, we're always looking for the next thing. I don't think we value sort of the security. Um, I also think that by nature, depending on someone's behavioral style, and, and you and I talked about, I'm a behavioral analyst as well. Um, so based on someone's behavioral style, um, they're also just not very good with those kind of details, right? Good intention, but they're just not very good at the details and they're not really um, wanting to get the education that they need to find out what do I do with this money um Hmm. I see Um, it with real estate agents who get into massive trouble um come every April 15th because they don't really they don't understand um what what money belongs to them and what money doesn't hmm. right
1: um do you so just jumping into the next part of that sentence is i'm assuming yeah. what you're saying what money does what money does and you mm-hmm. are also implying happiness and i mean what my and, advice would well, yeah yeah what do you think about that How, like we all know now that obviously happiness doesn't is not really correlated with money but it's hard to change your priorities when your priority is to make money and not mm-hmm. necessarily pursue happiness. And that's something yeah. I, I don't even know how to start a conversation sometimes with entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah. I, I think for me, the most excited I get when I talk to an entrepreneur who wants to make money is when I understand why the money matters. Right. Hmm. Um, that changes everything. I think when, when people want to make a lot of money, for a purpose, we, I call it the big why. Maybe You've heard that before, the big why. Great book, by the way, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. Simon um, Sinek, yep. Simon Sinek, love him, shout out to Simon. Um, but I think when people <laughs> when people have a big financial goal for a big reason, it's amazing. Particularly when that reason isn't just self-serving, like I want a bigger toy, or I want the bigger house or the bigger boat. Um, but when people have a really strong, powerful why that's driving them, that's bigger than them. It, it, it's a real powerful thing to watch. I think for those people um, that haven't had any experiences yet, that maybe maybe um, introduce them <laughs> to what's really important: <laughs> death or sickness uh. or things beyond your control or losing everything. Um, where it feels like you know I'm just here to make a lot of money and have a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, I can't really speak to that because that's never been me. I've always had, I I didn't come from that place. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't really, I don't really know what that would feel like. I see it. I see it. And and to be honest with you, I think those are the people I try to say, um, what is that money for? So when I do a, I teach a business planning clinic and I'll say, okay, who wants to share what their financial goals are? And some might say, you know, I want to make a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or five hundred thousand or whatever the number is and i say that's amazing that's great why like why does it matter like why what What, um, what happens if you don't
1: oh and be like honestly you and I could talk forever <laughs> so there <laughs> No, it's true. It's true. And like, I'm keeping time and and it's like, I have so many questions still, but I want to get to two more questions that I definitely want to get inside the podcast. And if we have to get you back in the, on the podcast again for a specific topic, because we're working on something related to happiness. uh, I think you would be a great uh, addition to that conversation. Uh, But I want to talk about your mentors. And this is, this is the closing section on the podcast, which uh, I'm always interested to hear where the people get their drive or when they yeah. got their habits, or when they got their inspiration. And it tends to come from mentors more than situations. Uh, and yeah. do you, do you wanna highlight a couple or, uh, or one that resonates?
0: Oh man, there's many, I have many of them. Um, uh, and, and some mentors were mentors of what not to be, which I think can be equally powerful. Right. Just, well, let's not mention they're,
1: they're, those in public. You can definitely. No, 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 about. no, 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 I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't.
0: No, I wouldn't. And, but not, not for any like bad, not for any like, you know, bad reason other than to say I would just want something very different for me. Yeah. My mentor about, um, you know, one of my mentors was honestly my sister. Um, she was just she was. And, and I think for different areas of your life, you have different mentors. Um, my sister you know, passed away in 2010, uh, and mm-hmm. she she was the one who taught me truly, when you watch, I mean this is like a little sad, but when you when we talk about the idea of these, you know, like having stuff or buying stuff or the you know, the toys and all that kind of thing, my sister, you know, was very well off, had a beautiful life, traveled, uh, just amazing mom, I mean she just was was you know a tough, big shoes to fill. Um, but when you watch somebody leave the, leave the world, um, who had all of that stuff and you watch that, that at the end of the day, none of that matters, right? The jewelry didn't matter. The cars, the houses, the travel, none of that mattered. It's who's in your life, who's around your bed. I know that sounds like kind of deep. Um, but that was probably one of the biggest mentor moments I think of my whole life when I realized it's not about the stuff. It's about the people and it's about the experiences and it's about who are you leaving behind and it's about how did you change them? Um, so wow. she gave me just a powerful lesson in the stuff doesn't matter. It, it, it's the love, the people and the experiences that you've shared. Um, for business, I have, God, there's so many, too many for me to name. My partners are great role models for me and Keller Williams. Um, they up my financial thermostat. Um, I'm a huge, um, I'm an avid reader. I'm a podcast junkie. Um, and I have different, <laughs> different mentors for different things, spiritual mentors, financial mentors, physical mentors, um, life mentors, parental mentors. The, it, it just kind of goes mm-hmm. on and on. Um, awesome. So I don't know if I answered well, your question, but John Maxwell well, for leadership. You, you
1: know? Yeah. No, you did. You did. And uh, and, and you you definitely look like that person that realizes external input in some areas kind of like improve you. You obviously do that for a living to others. So mm-hmm. it makes alignment with with you that you live that way as well. Um, and yeah, yeah. B, uh, I cannot thank you enough for your time today. Um, we didn't even talk about a lot of stories like the one you told me when uh, you guys decided to go to that conference in Houston after Harvey, which I, I'll mention at some point oh, in the man. intro, because I think it's fascinating oh. <laughs> and it says a lot yeah. of you. Um, but wild. Um, thank, thank you for your time. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate if, uh, people want to contact uh, Marybeth, uh, her website is uh, marybethgustitus.com. Gosti- Gosti- yes. I'll actually put it on my notes because it's okay. hard to <laughs> pronounce it <laughs> and spell it. So don't worry about it. I'll, I'll just do <laughs> it on the notes of the podcast. Um, she is on Facebook as Mile One one uh, on LinkedIn and her personal name. So you can definitely follow yeah. her on that. Um uh, if you can ever spend 30 minutes with, with MB, I definitely suggest that if you're an entrepreneur or thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, more like me, if you just want to have an amazing coffee and learn from somebody and is willing to spend the time, she is that person. So uh, well, well, thank no you, MB, thing. for for your input and insight uh, today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I think you're great. I love what you're doing. And I really appreciate that, uh, you know, you uh, you invited me here. So thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> it.
1: Awesome. Um, Well, hope you have a good day.
0: All right. Thanks, Jordy. Thank you. Okay. Bye, guys.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, I want to thank MB for her time, friendship, and willing to share a very personal experience with us today. That was a great conversation that I hope you guys got to enjoy and get some motivation out of it. Uh, We're going to put MB's information in the notes of this podcast, so please reach out to her if you are in need of her services. Um, I'm also going to ask you, all of you, to share this episode. Uh, This is how we know you're actually getting something out of this. We hope you rate us as well in any platform that you're listening to the podcast. Subscribe, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on our Facebook page. We are Lexington Wolf Management and we're doing this for all of you. Um, but until next time, I'm Jordan Mueller and have a good day.